hole trapped in a boy's body. I really came to believe that. It felt like the only way I could kind of explain the way I was experiencing life. And that feeling actually went away. I went through teenage years into my 20s and I knew I was a man. I didn't think I was a girl or a woman trapped in a guy's body. But to be honest, I felt really uncomfortable as a man. I didn't really think I kind of fitted in. I didn't make the cut as a, a real man. I would say things to my female friends like, well, he would say that because he's a man. The men are over there. I didn't think I was a woman, but I didn't think I was with the men. All male environments were like my worst nightmare. Stag dudes, basically, I would find excuses not to go just because I felt so out of place. I don't make the cut as a man. My experience was an experience of kind of discomfort. I know for some people, maybe even some people here today, actually our experience is a bit more extreme than that. Quite extreme discomfort, maybe even disconnect. People say I'm a man, my body seems to say I'm a man, but I don't feel like I'm a man. For some of us, this is just a really painful, difficult topic. And I just want to say, if, if you're here today and it's a difficult thing, it's a painful thing for you, I first just want to say, well done and thank you for coming. And I hope that today God just draws near to you and encourages you through our time together. And for me, things started to change in my experience of being a man a few years ago. And that wasn't because I changed or how I am changed. It's because I started to think differently. I realized I'd been thinking completely wrongly about what it means for me to be a man. You see, my discomfort, my not feeling like I made the cut, like I felt fitted in with other guys, was God I had this really narrow, restrictive view of what it means to be a man. Men are like this. They fit into this little box. They like these things. They want to do these kind of things with this kind of personality and preferences. And I definitely wasn't in that box. So I thought, well, clearly I'm not actually a man. And that's a really common view, right? In the world you and I are living in, that's a common view. If you don't fit into the box of what a man's like, maybe you're not a man. Maybe you're a woman. Maybe you're non-binary. Maybe you're genderqueer. That's a really common thing. You and I all the time are being told you might not be a man. You've got to kind of work out who you are. Do you fit into the box that actually makes you a man? But then when you think about that, that's really problematic. Let's say there's a box you've got to fit in to be a man. Well, who gets to decide what that box is? Who gets to decide where the box falls? Who says this is a man, but this isn't a man? That's kind of pretty problematic. And it puts a lot of pressure on us. We either feel, I want to be a man, so I've got to fit into the box. I'm going to work really hard to be this kind of guy so I can be a real man. Or actually a lot of pressure on us to work out who we are. People are telling me I might not be a man. Am I not a man? Do I not fit in? Who am I? It raises all these questions. It puts us under lots of pressure when we're thinking this way. And it's problematic because I think when we're honest, most of us have at least some ways we don't fit into the box. So many people say to me, you know what, in lots of ways I'm your classic stereotypical guy, but actually this thing, I don't quite fit in that. Most of us don't really fit in the box. The idea that to be a man is to fit in the box just doesn't really work and it's pretty problematic for us. That was the way I was thinking. It caused me huge problems to disqualify myself from being a man it's the way that actually often the world we're living in is telling us to think and to think about being a man. But then for me, everything changed. One day, everything changed. I was reading the Bible. I was reading the very first chapter of the Bible, the Genesis 1, great big picture, poetic account of creation. And I read Genesis 1:27, and it was literally like a light bulb went off in my head. Here's what it says. So God created man or humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. And I realize there's two things there. One thing is that every single living human being is created in the image of God. That in some way, you and I are like God. There's a family resemblance. And that's a fact because of how God has made us. 
You don't have to act in a certain way to be in the image of God. You don't have to feel a certain way, like certain things, do certain things. You are in the image of God because God has made you that way. And then that same verse, Genesis 1.27, puts in parallel, puts next to that, that we're created male and female. And one of the reasons that's placed in parallel is to show us that's also a given thing. That's telling us you don't become a man by acting a certain way. You don't have to fit into the little box that people say is what men are like to be a man. You're a man because God says you're a man. It's an identity God gives to us and that we receive. And actually he gives it to us through our bodies. If you go and read Genesis 1, you'll find it says that we're in the image of God, we're male and female. And then it says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, i.e. for some of us, get married, have kids and fill the earth with people. Why does the have kids thing come immediately after the fact that we're created male and female? Because being male or female is about having a body that can play a role in having kids. It's about the structuring of the body that God has given to us. Our bodies are the way God gives us to us an identity. That doesn't mean you need to have kids to be a man. I don't have kids. I'm not likely to have my own biological kids. But I'm still a man and God's given me the identity in my body. And because that's the case, being a man is like a solid, static, stable thing. It's already true of you even before you do anything. It can't be changed or taken away from you. You can't disqualify yourself from being a man. You can't not fit in as a man. You are a man because God has given you the identity in your body. And sometimes, though, we hear that, and in our cultural context, we think, well, that's really old-fashioned, that's really like repressive, that's bad news, that's not a good thing. But in that moment, when I had that revelation reading Genesis 1, I realized this is really good news. It's really good news for me. It's really good for all of us as guys. For me, I realized, if I'm a man because God says I'm a man, that's solid and static. That's not going to change. I don't have to act in a certain way. I don't have to feel a certain thing. I don't have to like certain things to be a man. I'm a man because God says I am. When I know who I am, who God says I am, I've got the freedom to be how I am. So for me, that's meant I've got really relaxed about embracing my deep love for Downton Abbey and musical theatre and my sometimes flamboyant nature. It doesn't matter that lots of the stereotypically masculine stuff beer, rugby, steak, I don't really like, they don't really interest me. I'm a man because God says I'm a man. And within us as men, there is wonderful diversity. God's made each one of us different and unique. And because we know who we are, God says you're a man, we can embrace how we are. And then we live out the call of being a man, the call of being Christ-like from the foundation of the static, solid truth. You're a man because God says you're a man. That was literally life-changing for me. It was good news for me. But it's good news for all of us. Maybe it's good news for you because your story is like mine. Maybe you're quite aware of maybe lots of ways, maybe just a few ways, if I don't really fit in. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm fitting in in when I'm with the guys. This is good news. You are a man. You are a guy because God says you are. And those ways you might feel you're a bit different from other guys, that's great. That's part of how God has made you. You know, this is also really good news for us as men in our day and age, because as Jez has just been hinting at, so many of the things that are said about guys, believed about guys in our culture are not good things. Sometimes you think, what do people think men are like? And you think, if that's what men are like, I don't think I want to be a man. Sometimes we want to kind of opt out of being a man, because actually the kind of options culture is giving us are so unappealing. This tells us you can be a man, a real man, and not have to fit in with some of the horrible ways that our culture has distorted what men are like and how we should live our lives. Don't think that just because culture says all these bad things are true of men, 
That doesn't mean that has to be true of you. But also it doesn't mean you have to opt out of being a man. You get to be a man because God says you're a man and you get to be a man like Christ, the ultimate man, and flow from that place. And actually, this is still really good news if you're a guy who feels like, I do fit in the box. In most things, you might think, I'm a pretty stereotypical guy. This is still really good news for you because actually you get to embrace who you are, how God has wired you. You don't have to be intimidated or anything like that by other types of masculinity, other ways of being a man, people who are not like you. You also don't have to intimidate others who are not like you. You too get to rest on the solid basis of, I'm a man because God says I'm a man. And now what's it look like for me to steward that and be responsible and become like Christ in that? For all of us, we need to know that we're a man because God says we are. To receive that, to embrace that, to give thanks for that, that's not going to change. And we're all unique in that. It's going to look different for each one of us. And that becomes the foundation on which we take up our responsibility, which is to be like Christ. To to pursue him wholeheartedly, to find fullness of life in him, to do the things he calls us to do. We're men who know we're men, so we heed the call to become like Christ. We're going to pause and just for a few moments, you've got a moment to chat to one or two people around you, anything we've talked about, or maybe you want to discuss how is this good news for you? And what are the ways maybe you don't fit into that box, but you can be really relaxed about because God says you're a man. Chat about anything we've talked about for a few moments, then TJ's going to take us through the next part. Everyone doing all right? All right. Everyone say wake up. Amazing. Um, start timer. All right, um, I hope you guys had really cool discussions there. There's some really helpful stuff in there about being a man and not fitting into boxes. Um, and being a man called out by God. That Genesis 127, he made them male and female. Uh, that means he made you specifically, and that's really important. I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit and um, talk about something that, even though, yes, we're not called to live in a box, there is something that we're all called to do as men. Um, so this little short talk, I say short, I'm going to try my best, but I'm notorious for going over time. Uh, this is called Born to Fight. Born to Fight. Um, this morning I went on Google and I typed in, are men more aggressive than women? I asked Google and as you know, Google tells the truth about absolutely everything. And um, now funnily enough, there was all these articles and whatever that I was skimming through really quickly and unanimously it said yes. Uh, there was a big word called amygdala. Does anyone know what that is? Amygdala. Who said that? Yes, it's part of the brain. It's Ten points to discover here. Gryffindor, yes. Um, apparently, there's this part of our brain that when we hit puberty, it makes us more aggressive, a little bit more likely to play fight, and a bit more likely to argue, and a bit more likely to do all of this. This is like a unanimous fact. Yeah, if I stand here and I say to you, oh yeah, you know men are actually like a bit more aggressive than women, it's, that statement in and of itself feels outdated and feels weird, right? It's kind of like, oh, men are more aggressive. It's like, oh, excuse me, it's 2023. We don't talk like that anymore. Yeah, I, the, I guess the question that I have today and the question I want to answer is, is there a place still today for the aggressive, ruthless man? Is there a place in society for the alpha, whatever people call it these days? Is there a place in society for the fighting man? And if so, how on earth does that fit into the reality of the kingdom of God? How does that fit in? So if you've got your Bibles, turn me to Matthew 11, verse 11 to 15. Yes. You guys are lucky that you've got phones with Bibles on them as well, because back in 
Back in the early days, we'd have to lug it all around. Matthew 11, verse 11 to 15. This is Jesus talking. He says, Truly I say to you, among those who are born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. That's Jesus talking, and it's a bit of an interesting little portion where he just takes a little moment out from ministry to big up his cousin, John the Baptist. And he says, look, look, out of everyone that's ever been born, Moses, Abraham, all of them, look, there's never been someone greater than this guy over here, John the Baptist. And in fact, ever since he started preaching... People have, people have been coming to the kingdom of God or looking for this thing because they realize that there's something more that to, to life than, I guess, what they're used to. The kingdom of God is suffering as if violent men are after it. It's like people are eager for what I have to bring, is what Jesus is saying. And then he says this, and the violent take it by force. Now, I used to read this and think, what on earth is Jesus talking about? That this kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Is, is he talking about uh, people coming to try and take away the kingdom of God and take it away from us? Well, now, I finally realize what he's talking about. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What he's talking about is violent men. That word violent doesn't mean people with knives and guns trying to come and cause harm. What he's talking about is people who are eager. People who have this zeal, people who have, people who have such this, this massive longing to grasp the kingdom of God. He's saying there's this thing that's attractive about the kingdom of God and the people that really want it, the people that really want to get close, the people that really want to be changed, they're going to take it with this zeal and with this passion. The violent that he's talking about is a, a figurative speaking. He's talking about a passion for his kingdom. And one thing that I believe that we're saying, seeing today in society is less and less men with this defiant, ruthless, passionate, zealous violence for the kingdom. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, I think society tells us that these traits are not needed anymore for men. Uh, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, Jess. Back in the day, being... A ruthless, strong, fighting man was a really good thing, right? Imagine a few thousand years ago, you're in camp and a wolf turns up, right? Starts sniffing around your food. Everyone in that camp is going to want a man that can fight, right? Everyone in that camp is going to want a man that's strong and a man that's going to protect everyone. It's a trait to have. You go forward a few hundred years, thousand years, all these countries start to go to war with each other. Now, when there's an invading nation into your country, you're going to look around for some of these fighting men. And these traits of being ruthless and passionate and zealous and traditionally being like, that, those are things that you want in men. And then you get a little bit further forward and World War II comes and you said it. People who weren't like this were marginalized by society. Why? Because these traits were needed. And then you come to, I'm talking about our country today, where by God's grace, there's been quite a lot of peace and these traits aren't really needed anymore. And in fact, these traits seem to cause more harm than good. Has everyone heard of the phrase toxic masculinity? Put your hand up if you heard of that. That's the whole room. 
You see, a lot of the time when people talk about toxic masculinity, what they're talking about is these things, these traits that are commonly associated with men and have been associated with men all the way throughout the ages have been perverted and now are causing more problems than good. And so what I've found is growing up, I'm, I'm kind of like, is it okay as a man to, to be passionate and to be strong and to be courageous and to be all of these kinds of things? Or is that just a really outdated view of masculinity? I find myself asking that question all the time because as soon as that kind of a thing arises, it gets demonized as that's toxic, toxic masculinity. And a lot of it is. So I wonder, is there a place for the fighting man today? Because it seems like all the examples I see of it are somewhat perverted. Number one, why do... So for the two reasons as to why there are less fighting men today. Number one, society tells us that it's not needed anymore. Number two, uh, fighting is scary. Who here has ever been in a fight? Terrible. That is... Some of your youth leaders are looking around like, what? No, I'm sure none of you have been in a fight. But if, if you have been in a fight, you'll resonate with what I'm about to say. No matter how big and strong or whatever you are, if you're about to get in a fight, there's this brief moment of fear that comes over you, right? Those guys that, those really well-behaved guys that used to fight, put your hands up. Who were you? Yes. Did you feel that fear? Yes. Your heart starts beating a little bit, right? And so I've been in a, look, I went to a boys' school. It was basically, we used to fight all the time. And there was one time where a guy that was the same size as me squared up to me. Now, this was like Clash of the Titans in school because it was like, we're the two big boys and everyone's looking and I'm there and I'm thinking, I can kind of, I can hang, but then this fear came over me and I thought, rah, this really could be it. Now, <laughs> you, you kind of freeze up a little bit and you think, whoa, I don't know if this is worth it. Now, let me tell you where that fear comes from. Fighting, the fear that comes before you're about to fight is because you suddenly have this realization that you might lose something. Yes, you might lose the fight, but there's more than that that you might lose. You might lose your status. You might lose your reputation. If you're in school, you, you might lose your school because people get kicked out of school for fighting. You might lose a tooth. Who knows? You might lose your dignity. You might lose certain opportunities later in life because you're in this fight right now. And before you're about to fight, over, all, overcomes you with all this fear. All this fear starts to overcome you, right? And you get into what's called a fight or flight mode. I won't tell you how that fight ended up, but yeah, it was scary. Now, the reason fighting is scary, now I'm talking about, that was physical fighting, but the same thing happens on a very much spiritual, emotional, and mental level. It is scary when you're a zealous person. It's scary when you're the kind of violent, defiant, passionate man that Jesus was talking about in this passage. The reason it's scary is because there is something at stake and there's something that you might lose if you're someone that's going to be defiant against society. If you're going to be radical for Christ, there's something that is on the line. And that same fear that you may face when someone's facing up against you is the same fear that's going to overcome you when you're in society. Because, for example, if you say to someone, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but you don't really act it out, they're going to leave you alone. It doesn't matter, oh yeah, you're a Christian, oh yeah, that's fine, go do your thing over there. But if you say, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way, and I'm not going to do this thing, and I'm not going to do this thing, and I'm not going to do this thing, and I am going to profess the name of Jesus, now we have a problem. Because society is not really going to like that. And in the same way, there's some kind of risk, and there's something that you will lose for fighting for what you believe in. 
again, it's very funny because it's the same things that you might lose. You might lose your status. You might lose your reputation. You might lose money. You might lose dignity. You might lose opportunity. That is scary as a man. Yeah, I believe we're still cool to be these kind of men that are defiant and fight. Can someone say amen? It's very quiet out there. Thank you. Now I've got five minutes. I have to pick and choose what to go for. You know, I'm, I'm on page two or four. This is terrible. Right. I know what to do. Let's look at Jesus. This is a good thing to do. Jesus is the perfect picture of masculinity. That was a moment to say amen again. Thank you. Jesus is a perfect picture of masculinity. But when he describes himself, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. Amen. <laughs> We're starting to get it. Now, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. The fruit of the spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not passion and zeal and all of these things. It's things that are very much gentle. Things that are very much still. Things that are very much humble. And yet Jesus is the perfect picture of masculinity. You see, Jesus was, Jesus was gentle. He was tender. And yet, when it came time for him to be defiant, there was no one that did it quite like him. You know the story of when they're trading in the temple and Jesus goes and flips over all the tables? You know what it says in the book of John, chapter 2, verse 16? He said, Jesus says to those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus was defiant against the sin that was happening in the table, in the temple, but it was righteous. And he said, I am not going to stand for this anymore. And he turned into that passionate, zealous lion. You see, uh, as a Christian, we live in this duality between, and this is metaphorically speaking, we live in this duality between lion and lamb. As men, we get this beautiful privilege of living in this duality between humility and faith. We live in this tension between the two. Where we're called to be lowly and gentle, but also called to be fearless. We're called to be humble and say, less of me, Lord, and more of you. But at the same time, if there's a mountain, we're called to cast it into the sea and say, you will be cast into the sea and have that level of faith. And you see, when, I, when it comes to being a man, I think really and truly, when it comes to being a fighter and being a man, we are called as men to be people who not only, yes, maybe we're, society will say that we're more aggressive than women, but we're not meant to just pretend that that aggression isn't there. We're meant to control it and channel it into being angry against the thing that, things that God is angry about and being passionate for the things that God is passionate about. Amen. Thank you. Yes. I need a, can people say amen a little bit more like they're fighters? Thank you. Maybe I'm, I'm going to call this talk, instead of born to fight, maybe just wake, wake up. All right? You see, all right, let me jump, let me jump. I want to give you four points. Is everyone taking notes? That was your hint to take notes. Notebook, pen, or hopefully you've got a really good memory. Because I want to give you, when, when I say you have none of the above, it's all right, mate. The Holy Spirit is with you. Right. I've got two minutes, so we'll be very quick. I'm talking about fighting. I'm talking about it's not a bad thing to be a man that is defiant. We are the defiant ones. There's two things that as men, I believe that we should fight for 
And there's two things that I believe that we should fight against. So that's four points in total. The first thing I want you to write down is fight against sin. Fight against sin. Romans chapter 8 verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's war talk right there. If you, if you go to war against the desires of the flesh, like, you know those impulses and those temptations that you get as men? Paul's saying, if you go to war against those things, if you fight against those things, if you are violent against those things, if you are defiant against those things, you will live by the Spirit. There's this quote from a book by Ed Welch called Addictions. It says this, There is a mean streak to authentic self-control. Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand of ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. I'm going to say that again. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. Those words are, I heard them in a preach by a man named John Piper. And he started screaming, it's time to make war. And I think someone turned it into a hip-hop song. But I can testify to what this author was saying here. Because for those who don't know, my, my, part of my story is that I used to be caught up in pornography, right? And when I say caught up in it, it I mean it caught me. Like I was in its grip. And there was a certain kind of, oh, this is my burden to bear and uh, it's just how I am and I don't really know how to get through this and this and that and this and that and people you know through prayer and through guidance and through a lot of things that I'm going to talk about in a seminar tomorrow uh, God pulled me out of that but one of the big things was this going from this weird like I'm, I'm sympathetic for myself mentality to I'm at war against the sin that's in me I'm at war against it and to this day I'm still I'm still at war (laughs) Like, like it said in that passage, in that, in that little um, thing that I just read, it said, when you're at war, anyone here play Call of Duty? Yeah, is that still the game? No one plays Call of Duty. What's the game nowadays? Is that, it's the war zone. That, yeah, same thing. <laughs> so when you're walking around and you're, you know, you're kind of on guard against things, right? Like you're walking around and you're on guard for any kind of movement, any kind of whatever, and you're ready to go at the slightest movement of anything, Right? It's the same when it comes to me and this issue of pornography because I'm at war. So ever since coming out of it, I didn't come out and be like, oh my gosh, thank the Lord, I'm free, this is fantastic, right, back to normal. It was like, right, I know the susceptibility of sin to come and grab me and catch a hold of me. I need to be ready for any little movement and to be defiant against it. So there are things that defiantly I will not watch. There are things that I will not listen to. There are things that I will not read. There are conversations that I will not have. I can't lie. I delete Instagram off my phone maybe once a week and then download it again just to reply to messages and then delete it again because I'm at war. 
I'm not trying to walk around and tiptoe as close to the line as I possibly could. No, no, no. Sin is trying to get me. And I'm at war against it. We must be people that are passionate and zealous and fight against sin. That's number one. Number two, we must fight against apathy. We must fight against... um, I'm going to have to go very quickly through this one. But when I say fight against apathy, I mean... Fight against just being blasé and casual when, oh, we're just going to go with the flow. And As a Christian, when you, when you sign up to be a Christian, you sign up for a fight. <laughs> now, the good part is that the fight's already been won. Amen? Come on, we're getting it. But there's some action that you have to do. That's the grace and mercy of God that he wants to partner with us in that overcome. So he's overcome, but we're still overcoming at the same time. That's a completely different seminar. There's a passage in Luke 24 where Jesus is walking with his disciples. This is after he died. They're all upset because they've gone through this terrible, terrible thing. Their savior is gone. Their hope has gone. And there's this man that walks with them. Two of the disciples, they're on a road to a place called Emmaus. And he comes and he joins them and he starts walking with them. And he starts saying to them, why are you so upset? Why are you so upset? And they say, have you not heard? You must be the only person that does not know this man named Jesus Christ was crucified. Hope has gone from the world, right? And then this man who they didn't realize was Jesus starts to explain to them how, oh, no, 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 the hope hasn't gone. And he explains the whole Bible to them from start to finish. And as they're walking, they're thinking, goodness me, who is this man? And they get to the place that they're meant to be going and they say, please, don't leave, don't leave. We need you to come in. It's really late. Just come and stay with us. It's late. It's inconvenient. Just come and stay with us. And Jesus says, remember, they don't know it's Jesus yet. He comes in and he sits with them and he's like, yeah, cool. And then he breaks bread and their eyes are opened and they realize, this is Jesus. And then once they recognized that it was Jesus, Jesus vanished. And in that moment, they looked at each other and they said, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened the scriptures and bore witness about himself? Did our hearts not burn within us? And that very second, they got up and they went back to Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing about that story is, what was the reason that they said that Jesus would stay in the room with them? It was, it was because it was late at night and they said it was inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Come and stay with us. And then when they realized it was Jesus, that very hour they got up and they went back through the inconvenience of it being late at night. They went and they took action and went back to Jerusalem to bear witness about Jesus Christ. As men, we must fight against apathy. What they could have done is been like, raw, that was Jesus, you know. And our hearts burned within us while he was talking. Anyway, let's finish this bread. That's what they could have done. But no, they looked at each other and said, we got to go back and do something. And then through the inconvenience, they fought. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a place to stand and fight against apathy. Uh, the psalmist says, awake my soul, awake my whole being. Sometimes you feel a little bit down in the dumps. Every now and again, it's time to talk to your soul that the spirit within you is greater than it. That the same power that conquered the grave is in you. And that your soul can wake up. You can come alive. Amen? All right. Number one, fight against sin. Number two, fight against apathy. Number three, fight for people. Jesus is the picture of masculine living. So if we're doing it right, we should look like him. And in John 13, he will say, people will know that you're mine if you do this, if you love people in the way that I have loved you. How did he love people? Earlier in that chapter, he got on his hands and his knees and he washed people's feet. If you want to be a fighting man, you must fight for people. We don't fight against people. Being a fighting man in the kingdom is not about fighting against people. We must fight for people. 
What does fighting for people look like? Like I just said, it's getting on your hands and your knees and washing their feet. It's radical love. Young people, I really want you to hear that. It's radical love. It's going out of your way to help people. For the ones that are a little bit older, it might look like, you know, if you're around my age, it's going to look like maybe adopting a child. That's what radical love looks like. It looks like providing for people who are underprivileged. It looks like discipling someone that's a little bit younger than you or mentoring them. It looks like praying for your classmates. It looks like giving up certain things so other people can have things. It looks like being defiant against what society tells you to do. You fight for people. That's what we are called to do. And it's a lot tougher and more hard to fight for people than to fight against people. And the very last point, I'm only seven minutes over time. Very last point is you must fight for the faith. Fight for the faith. In Jude verse 3, it says, contend for the faith. This doesn't mean go out and start arguments. It does, that's what I used to do, go out and start arguments and start arguments and try and win arguments against people. No, it really looks like winning people. And this will make you stick out and this will make you look a little bit odd and this will make you say no to things that the world says you should say yes to things and this might lead to your death. But the promise is that Jesus will be with you every single step of the way. So, we are meant to be ruthless against sin, defiant against apathy, passionate for people, fighters for the faith, and zealous for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much, TJ and Andrew, for all that you shared. So we've got a few minutes. We're going to have some questions. Um, you're going to have to shout, put your hand up, and Andrew and TJ will field some of those questions. We've got a few minutes, so who wants to go first? Great, yeah. So the question is, I had that like moment of revelation from Genesis. How can I continue to walk in that when I'm challenged? And that's a really good point because I have to keep doing that. So when Jez asked me to do this, I texted him and said, it's not my favorite context but it's a good opportunity to put into practice what I, what I say and what I teach. And so the feelings still come of maybe I don't fit in, but actually I make the choice of, no, no, what does God say? And all of us in all areas of life have that. It might not be about being a man, it could be all manner of things. I feel this or the world's telling me this, but God says this, and there's a moment of decision. And the decision is, am I going to believe what I feel or what the world says, or am I going to believe what God says? And because we're followers of Jesus, we believe what God says, because he knows what's true, he knows what's good. So, yeah, it's an active choice, day by day, different things. Try to knock me off that course, but I had to stop and go, what does God say? Okay. And when you listen to the voice that really matters, it can silence every other voice. And that's what we need to do in all areas of life. Listen to the voice that really matters, and it will silence every other voice. Yes, my man. Do you want to... Hi. Did you win the fight with the other guy? No, I got, I got, I got quest, bro. I got... Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a good day. <laughs> oh, good question. So, I want to bless people with my masculinity. What are some of the ways that I can do that? Love God, love people, make disciples. They're the three things. That's your corporate purpose as a Christian. And as a man, uh, it's doing that from a male context. So, love God love people, and make disciples. Great. I think it's be aware of the ways that we as men have particular um, 
opportunities, sometimes particular privileges as reality and particular abilities because we're wired by God in certain ways. I think, how do I use the things that are unique about me, some of which are linked to being a man, to bless other people? And how is it not about me getting what I want, but how do I use how God's made me and the fact I'm a man, the roles that gives me in different contexts to be a blessing to other people? Great, thank you. And yeah, my, my advice would be honor, honor other people, particularly honor the opposite sex. You treat them as the brides and princesses and beauties and gifts that they are to us. So that means you have to go to war against sin. You have to go to war against objectifying women. A woman may objectify herself and present her body to you as just a, a, you know, a lump of parts for you to delight yourself in. But you have to re- resist the instinct to objectify her. She's not a piece of She's not an object. She's not a lump of skin. She's a, a, a child of God, someone made in God's image. And we have to honor, exalt be generous in our thought life and attitudes and actions towards them okay yes uh we'll go right at the back this guy it's a great question in the fight against sin how do you avoid fighting in the flesh just in your own gritted teeth self-effort self-will um i've got one thing and then i'll pass it on self your um willpower isn't strong enough in the battle against the flesh which is why the lord gives us spiritual disciplines one of them a great one that i know you're all going to want to go home and practice is fasting fast because that reveals your powerlessness over even your basic instincts for food and it throws you on god's mercy so jesus said when he when fighting satan and trying to cast out demons his disciples couldn't do it. he said this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting some translations say and i think leaning into some of the disciplines that god gives us reveals our own powerlessness our own bankruptcy our self-control can't win in this fight and it calls on the power of god to step in for us yeah, um, I'm, I'm speaking on this tomorrow at a seminar, believe it or not. But, um, it, you know, let me just give it all away. Um, <laughs> in Second Corinthians 12, Paul has what is, he calls a thorn in his flesh. Um, and he, he pleads to the Lord three times to remove it. And God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul's response to that is, I am now... I'm now cool with uh, calamities and hardships and insults and all manner of things for when I am weak, therefore I am strong. So there was a closeness between Paul and God right there. And there was a conversation between Paul and God right there. And there was a recognition of his own insufficiency in that situation. So in the fight against sin, I'm go- my first port of call is that secret place with God. And getting close to him and recognizing his power in my weakness. So that, yes, there is a very visceral, I am at war that's happening up here. But there's a, this fight belongs to the Lord that happens in my heart. And I think that's how you keep yourself from becoming kind of just weirdly legalistic and kind of like David Goggins. Yeah, I would just say it's getting the gospel the right way around. The good news of Jesus isn't get yourself sorted so you can come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus and he helps you get yourself sorted. So it's not, I'm going to strive really hard to get this thing sorted so Jesus might accept me. It's Jesus, I'm bringing this to you. I'm really struggling with this. It's that all the things the guys have said are bring it to God, engage with Jesus and get spiritual disciplines. And then I think it's memory actually that it's deepening intimacy with Jesus that displaces other things. So it's not just we want to get rid of this thing, we want to replace it with Jesus. And so we're simultaneously battling against sin and battling for deeper intimacy with Christ because the two partner together. Sure. So how do you fight against him without being overbearing? And particularly in a society like ours, not, I guess, seem to like patronize women and like carry their bags when they don't want them carried, that sort of thing? 
Yeah, great question. Um, when I said you live in the duality between humility and faith, I think the key characteristic here in everything that I'm talking about is humility. I don't think you can get closer to Jesus without growing in humility. John 3 verse 4 or 4 verse 3, I can never remember. It says, he must increase and I must decrease. If you approach everything with that in your mind, not about, there's no showmanship, there's no uh, trying to big yourself up, there's no trying to grow your own reputation, none of that. It is all for him and I'm coming under the covering of Jesus Christ. I am humble under Jesus Christ. You don't go into situations being overbearing. Like for example, someone doesn't want to be helped but you're going with a genuine heart to help them. They say, I don't want to be helped by a man. You say, that's totally fine. Why? Because you understand that, well, Jesus Christ will, (laughs) by God's grace, Jesus Christ is going to help you at some point and help you in life and that underneath that kind of humility you don't take offense to these kinds of things you see what i'm saying and you don't become overbearing and you, it, that kind that thing tends to fade away and i'm just talking from my own life experience humility is 100 percent the key when it comes to this that's great yeah i think i would just i would add like often you in when dealing in you treat people with honor but then you wait to be invited a lot of the time. Like the criticism of a lot of what they call paternalism is men assuming that they can, that, that people need them to do things for them. Whereas actually as men, we should honor and treat people with dignity and wait for them to invite us to help if ever they need that and not infantilize people by assuming, oh, I, you need me. I'm here. I can help. I'm strong. I'll carry that. Oh, if my wife wants to carry the bags, let her. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I can, I'm, I'm good with that too. Um, let's have one more question. Um, and then we're done. Yes. I love what you said about What's happening on Friday? Oh, okay. That's, isn't that, that's the age groups together rather than boys and girls together. So, I don't know what they're preaching on on Friday. No. I have no idea. Yes. <laughs> there you go i think that's an invitation all right andrew i just felt god impressing on my heart i just want to pick up on one thing jez said jez said all those statistics about the relative suicide among particularly is young men and we hear that and that is sometimes scary to hear and it's a scary place to be it's been twice in my life that i've been suicidal one time i had a plan so i got quite far down the road as it were And we hear this thing and it's the biggest threat facing us as men. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. It's really important that as men we're aware of that. And we don't want to be captive to fear. We don't want to go away from here scared because this is a reality for young men like us. We don't want to be wise. We don't listen to the lies that we can't talk about stuff. We want to be wise and think, because this is a risk, I'm going to be a man who's brave enough to be honest about how I am, how things are going. And I felt God asked me to ask you to do two things in your heart right now. One is to commit in your heart that if you get to a really dark place, you're going to talk to someone. My best mate's been going through some really tough mental health stuff. We're just sharing it. We're getting really, really tough. And I said to him, I sat down and said, I want you to promise me that if this gets really dark, you're going to call me or you're going to tell someone. Make the commitment in your heart right now. You may or may not ever get to a really dark place. God's inviting you. Make the commitment. It's easier to make the decision now than it is then. I'm going to talk to someone when that happens. And the second thing I've heard God say we need to do is, right now, think of the person who, if that was today, think of the person you know you could talk to if that was today. And in your lifetime, that's going to change. You always want to be keeping in mind, who's my person? If life falls apart, I've got someone to go to. 
It's not always going to be the same person, but go away from here knowing that's a person I could talk to. If my life fell apart today, that's who I'd talk to. God cares about us. doesn't want to be scared because of that reality, but wants us to be wise. Spirit, will you just help us to be wise, to go away not fearful, but wise, knowing that ups and downs in life come, but we're not alone. And you want us to find hope, even hopeless situations, by coming to you and coming to others and help us to do that, we ask. Amen.